0: This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent, and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobble together when you're curled upon the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed doors. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now get 15% off your first order at slash acast That's 15% off at slash acast
1: Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of
0: Everyone's Business, but mine and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. Hello friends, you find me for the very last time this series in my kitchen. Yes, I know, I hear you, up and down the country, moaning for more. But do not fear too much, friends, come for eating, we'll be back later in the year. Now I have a fabulous guest arriving in a minute for a chat and a plate of something hearty. Closing season four is none other than the actor James Norton. Yeah. That's right, James Norton from Happy Valley. Before he gets here, I'm just treating myself to a little January health kick pack of Snackerjacks. They are a health food, aren't they? Just dipping them in absolutely delicious spicy tomato sauce. So Moorish. Not very good for my breath, though. Chances are you've seen James Norton on your telly, in the cinema or on stage. His roles have included playing a sleuthing vicar in Grantchester, a prince in War and Peace and as the absolutely despicable ex-convict Tommy Lee Royce in The Incredible Happy Valley, the third and final series of which is currently airing on Sunday nights. No, I won't be asking for spoilers. However, I may be asking for a ticket for his next gig, as later this year he'll be on stage in an adaptation of Hany Yanagihara's best-selling novel, A Little Life, which is nearly sold out, I hear. James now lives in London, but I'm looking forward to hearing about his youth in God's own country, North Yorkshire, the adventures that he had in his 20s, and how he balances life at home with his fiance, with being one of Britain's most in-demand actors. Oh, and what he likes to eat when he's on the couch in his gym jams. Time for one last little treat. That's really good. Oh my god. James Norton, welcome to Comfort Eating.
1: Thank you very much, Grace.
0: Welcome to my house.
1: Thank you. What a lovely house you have.
0: Thank you very much. We have recorded four seasons of Comfort Eating here at my living room table. And I think that when having people around, everybody falls into two camps. Either you're a better host or a better guest. James Norton, which one are you?
1: I'm 100% a host. Are you? Yeah. I love hosting, and amongst my friends, I'm the guy who brings you know the big party, New Year or whatever it might be. I love it. I love. I, I think I had a pre uh, life as a pre a prison chef. Or I c- I can't <laughs> cater for less than ten people, so whenever I make yeah. anything, it's like ridiculous proportions. Partly because I'm a glutton, but partly because yeah, I just love people over.
0: But if I was at one of your dinner parties, how do I know that you actually want everyone to go home?
1: Uh, it's time uh, i i don't that's the other thing <laughs> i'm begging people <laughs> to stay um my my partner is uh is in bed and is probably knocking on the floor saying fuck <laughs> off i am um, i'm at downstairs going yes, let's have one more so i'm i'm definitely the guy who's not going to bed and and it's quite good because we come at life from two ends of that spectrum but if it came to it i guess i would i'm pretty good at just saying, go home now. Because also, I'm the guy (laughs) who always hosts, so I can, you know.
0: Why, do you just open the doors and start ringing people to Uber?
1: Um, Short of, yeah, I might just switch the music off, turn the lights on, that kind of thing.
0: James, you have brought your ultimate comfort snack for us to enjoy, or endure, depending on what it is. Please unveil your snack. I have no idea what is under this pile of uh, foil and tea
1: towels. I don't know where this sits in your, like hierarchy of um well a taste and controversial snacks i mean it's love not how
0: nervous people get know, before, no, no, no. No, also, <laughs> before they unveil the snack oh also, i love it i love it we in- have the greatest minds celebrities through this door <laughs> and they crumble on taking a tea towel off a tray With, every time
1: it's because in your intro you say what it says about their, you know, there's okay. the, nothing says more than what they eat in their private moments, and so I I'm like, what does it say, do say about say that. me?
0: <sighs> I do say that, James, oh, because you, you can't, you can tell a lot by the snack that people <laughs> no. come. I'm just doing my intro now. You but are cobbled together behind closed doors. Oh, you're about you to feel judge like me. You, you feel, I feel like you've kind of shrunk in stature since what? the beginning of this part. Of no, no,
1: no. <laughs> when you eat this, I'm gonna get my stature back. Let's do it. Let's I do hope. It. Wow! But, yes, but yes, it look,
0: yes, yes. It
1: looks more simple. Than it is. It looks like.
0: Hang on. There's a random factor here. No, I'm. Go- I'm going to describe what I oh, can yeah, see yeah, in yeah, front yeah. of me. Yeah. It is two beautiful pieces of. Uh, sa- I'm going to say sourdough bread. Definitely. Uh, it looks grilled, buttered. Buttered. Yeah. There's a load of uh, sliced, not mashed avocado on there. Is that scrambled egg? But very good eggs. Yeah. They are good eggs. Like scrambled, a lot of pepper. Why is there some marmalade here?
1: Well, the other thing you can't see but will taste is underneath the avocado is the kind of secret weapon, which is a layer of um, gentleman's relish, Peyton Barperium. Shit. Anchovy (laughs) paste. (laughs) Do you like do you like anchovies? I mean it, I I
0: Shit. like I, I, I like anchovies, but I think gentleman's relish is just an is a bit of an abomination. Oh, I but love it. you look it's one of those things that people buy and that it just sits and sits and uh, sits.
1: See for me it's gone in a week. And also can I just say I hate the name. Gentleman's relish gentleman's is very relish, little dated, let's be honest.
0: But it just sounds a bit like it could be something quite rude. But it, doesn't it
1: wait this is gentleman's relish gentleman's this is not, relish. not
0: my gen- <laughs> just sounds a bit
1: Can you imagine? Really,
0: it sounds a bit carry on film
1: gentleman's relish this is this is the anchovy paste version of gentleman's relish um
0: so what are you going to do with the, with the marmalade so the
1: marmalade is the other secret so it's salty sweet and I, so basically i love scrambled egg with marmalade but then occasionally i'll add gentleman's relish occasionally I this is this is the whole kind of shebang. But this, is, this acts as like a chutney. And Look,
0: I can see a method. Hang on, here, here, here. I'm, I'm giving you yours. Right. How do I... Um, do you eat this with a knife and fork? Uh, what do I do with the orange marmalade? Should I just put it on the side?
1: Put it on the side and then put like a nice... Like, like treat it like a chutney. So my dad has, is, is, a, is a marmalade obsessive. And has, oh and so I would usually have my dad's marmalade. But obviously,
0: do, this is do pretty us, good. Um, does he make marmalade? Yeah,
1: he makes a batch every year. And I go home with it, I go back to London with it, so I love it.
0: Oh, my God. The marmalade's wobbling. It's just wobbling.
1: It's quite a lot of marmalade. It's good, it it's good. No, no, not... it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's good, it's good,
0: it's good. Ooh, right, hang on. Ah. You're never going to try and think about doing Celebrity MasterChef or anything, Why?
1: It's absolutely delicious.
0: <laughs> it feels like you've got four different breakfasts and you're taking the plates back to the kitchen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I.
0: <laughs> when do you eat this
1: this would be a, like a this wouldn't be a breakfast thing this would be a, a a kind of late night um I mean I think
0: do you know this is, as so often happens on comfort
1: eating are, are you enjoying it yeah
0: you start yeah. and you get past the initial Jesus Christ and then it moves into something that's actually really compelling. Isn't it
1: really good? Yeah. It's psychological, I think. Because you don't, it's, marmalade is such a sweet, mm. such a treat. You don't ever think of it as a chutney. But the sharpness of the oranges, if you just think of it as a chutney. Mm.
0: I don't pass me the tea towel. <laughs> I'm completely covered. It's one of those that you can't quite eat without getting it in your hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You grew up in Yorkshire, Mm -hmm. a place absolutely renowned for its food. Wensleydale cheese, rhubarb, licorice, very understated Yorkshire pudding. Mm -hmm. What food takes you back to early years in the North?
1: Funny, it's not really those foods. Um, I mean, when I was at school... um, the local primaries to go my mum and dad would be working because they worked quite they worked quite far away and had a big commute so i would go to this lady's house she's called liz marshall she's Mm. an absolutely amazing lady and she would look after me and my sister and she had grown up in yorkshire all her life and was proper sort of old yorkshire Mm. and we would have like apple pies with slices of cheese and we'd have like every time we'd have a, a a gravy meal we'd um Have a slice of white bread just afterwards. I can't believe what it was called. It was some like gravy boat or something, Mm. and that was the best thing. You know, there'd always be a little bit of gravy left over in the pot, and so it would just be a plate, slice of white bread, no butter, anything, and just gravy all over it. It Absolutely delicious. So those Mm. things are that's like when I that's like pre ten.
0: Do you still love gravy now?
1: Oh, see, (laughs) yes, and I love making gravy, and I, I, I hate when anyone put does my gravy because Mm. it's never enough and and every single time I get a roast in a restaurant before the food has hit my table in front of me I'm like can I have a little pot of extra gravy please (laughs) (laughs) and out with the with the horseradish and the mustard comes my little pot of extra gravy and it just swims in it I love it
0: you were born in 1985 you grew up with your parents Lavinia and Hugh your sister Jessica give us a snapshot of uh Young James, so what was your favourite toy?
1: Um, Brio trains, oh. the wooden ones, you know the you know the yeah, ones. I mean, yeah. And my sister has two little boys now, and um, I think they still have my Brio set, which is yeah. nice. I think my my dad loves throwing stuff away, but we managed to save that one. Yeah, I loved trains. I was obsessed, and I think like a lot of, like a lot of kids, you sort of fit into the strange gender stereotypes: mm. tractors and trains. Mm anyway I was obsessed I wanted to be a train driver I remember on the way to the train station once with my grandpa and I was screaming so loud of excitement that he, he never really ticked me off but he shouted at me like calm down because I was having like a panic attack over the idea of going and seeing a train I was just yeah I love trains
0: you, you would have been a great train driver
1: thank you very much I think so as well <laughs> <laughs> So
0: what happened you didn't um, didn't pursue it because they, they Britain always needs train drivers it
1: does so. right now we could go down that route couldn't we um <laughs> um, yeah, I, uh, I don't know what happened with train driving I never really got the opportunity I went and went to a train station once when I was at school And got to blow the whistle Maybe that was the end of the dream I, um, But yeah, train driving was only a brief moment
0: Give us a sense of family life like there's, So there's you and your mum and your dad and your sister And you're in this house And is it fun? Is it noisy? Is it, do you argue a lot?
1: all of those i think yeah yeah it was definitely very fun and warm and um we were in the countryside so you know lots of outdoors um for some reason it feels I me, mean, i don't know what it's like to have a kid in where you know in the area where i grew up i'm sure i hope it's the same but at a very young age i was able just to be free i mean you know, me and the, the other kids in the village it's very kind of um It's old fashioned and kind of idyllic. We would just run around the fields. Just
0: disappearing in the morning and just going. Yeah. Yeah. And just going swimming in the river.
1: It's like just William. It was weird.
0: You went home and you were hungry.
1: Yeah. Went home when I I was hungry or I grazed my knee or whatever (laughs) it was, you know. And they would generally know where we were. We weren't allowed to kind of go up to the top road where the cars were busy, but everywhere else was free reign. So it was pretty you special. You went up to
0: that top road though, didn't
1: you? My friends lived on the other side of it. There you go. So I had to cross it every so often. And they were like the naughty guys. They were the ones who had the cigarettes and the booze. <laughs> and, you know, so I had to sort of, yeah, they were great. I loved those guys. <laughs> you went to
0: boarding school. When you were 11, you spent five years at a school run by Benedictine monks. I think that there are seven distinct groups at every school, the world over. You're either one of the jocks, one of the stoners, the teacher's pets, the prized intellectuals, the nerds, the poets, the goths, or the class clown. What are you? Would you like those categories again? Poets. I'm going to say poet. I'm going to say you're quite sensitive and you possibly wrote the odd poem.
1: I was quite keen and I definitely was in the more creative... I love theatre and I was of the orchestra and, and so I was doing every school play I could and all that kind of stuff. So maybe maybe the poet is the right space. I'd started to work hard at the end so maybe I was a little bit of a nerd. I definitely wasn't a jock and I definitely wasn't in the kind of cool cool category... I became a bit of a stoner later on, but that yeah. was when I was at university and later. Um, I think had I had that, well, that would probably chill me out a little bit. My, I, my, my school years were complicated, if I'm honest. I didn't have the greatest time. I had, a, I was quite badly bullied for mm-hmm. five years, so I sort of didn't really know. And I was also at boarding school, so I couldn't leave. Yeah. So it's it's complicated. And it, interestingly, going into food, it's weird um, when you're boarding because food becomes like huge mm-hmm. because you're not, you don't have access to food So you have your tuck and you have your, um, you have your access to the sort of sweet shop where you have like a 50p allowance every week or something. But um, yeah, food. And if you're
0: bloody unhappy, then it must be a big deal. It's a big deal, yeah. These gorgeous moments of
1: sugar. Yeah, treats. Yeah. And I remember when Pot Noodles came out, it was huge at boarding school because it was like you had this independence; you didn't have to rely on the school meals because you know everything was so institutionalized. Breakfast, lunch, dinner—like you, had, you literally ate at a regimented time. Go
0: into a certain place, go into a hall where you would see people that you didn't want to see. But,
1: yeah, I mean, it's even worse. Every every evening meal, it's the main, you know, like your kind of moment, of sort of breaking bread, a mm. of, 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 of night you would be in your year group. I mean, I've never said this really, but mm. the the gr- you're, you're you're with your I think it was like thirteen guys who are in your year. I and mean, the table was set su- such that the the jocks would be at one end, and then it would be the stoners, the kinda of cooler sort of like glass clowns, and then it would sort of go through the poets, and then it would end up with the sort of the nerds and the, the bullied people. And I was the that's far right this at right right at this end, not the jock end. And if I if I ever deigned to sit at the Top end. I mean they would have just laughed at me. They would have just been like, what are you? They wouldn't even have yeah. it was mad. It was so hierarchical and yes. sort of structured. And so dinner times were charged for me. You know, they were there were this weird time when you were sitting with people who I mean, some most of them were great, but there were a couple who were not great. And that energy fed into the my whole sort of I had a really good time at school in mm-hmm. some ways, but I it was also complicated.
0: Absolutely <laughs> get exactly what you're saying I'm not sitting quietly going I've no idea what is to work. I went to a a comprehensive school in the north in the 80s and it was equally as hellish mm. like there was some lovely people there and some people that I still to this day in 2023 think about daily and go oh
1: yeah
0: go oh, what was all that about <laughs> like the the yeah. the determination of them to be like that every day must have been exhausting.
1: I think for me, for me now, having like, moved on from it a long way and actually had some amazing, um, I've had a great therapist for the last four years. And, mm-hmm. and it's not from a place of drama or, mm-hmm. or you know, I, I'm luckily not sort of suffering from depression or anything like that. Um, but it's been really, really helpful just understanding what that was. And, and actually, i realised that boarding schools are really weird places i mean we 're the only country who still send our kids away voluntarily mm-hmm. you know most countries if you 've got some sort of discipline problem or the- ki- or the parents are in the army or whatever then maybe they send mm-hmm. send them away. But we do it because it 's this old fashioned hangover from colonial era really, mm-hmm. and so you 're stuck with these people, and all these young kids are just deeply deeply homesick and yes. they 're just lost, and some of them that pain manifests itself in kind of being. Needy or a, a rebellious, maybe the class clown, but some of them get angry. And rather than crying out for their mum, they just psh, like bully someone. Yes. And so these kids were just like me. We were all just looking for our mums. We were all missing our mums. But some of them got hold of the, the bit between their teeth and realized that they felt better if they were cruel to someone else. And I was unfortunately the victim of that.
0: Now, boarding schools and tuck boxes go together. Like bubble and squeak. If you opened the tuck box and you didn't know what was going to be in it, what is the one thing that your mum could have put in the tuck box that made you feel really loved?
1: 50 quid. No, um. <laughs> um <laughs> Thanks, yeah, it's cash. Um, what would it be? I mean, my mum loves chocolate, like she, but she loves shit chocolate like you she has this big cupboard it's just stacks of dairy milk and fruit and nut and so fruit and nut for me and my sister i know for her as well like that's such an association with my mum so probably a bar of fruit and nut because i love it as well you know i mean i am actually now much more into like 85% I try and keep it to the dark chocolate but yeah chocolate for me I, I love know.
0: the amount of guilt that you have around the fact that you actually just love,
1: love a chocolate.
0: lovely slab of <laughs> Cadbury's dairy dairy what's it yeah Cadbury's fruit and nut Cadbury's yeah. fruit and nut how do you stop other people stealing your tuck box yeah padlock see I'm getting stressed already When you were back home during the holidays, was food a way of reconnecting with your family?
1: You see, that's another thing. Yes, massive. Because obviously when you get school food is school food. I mean, it was fine. It was institutional, big mass-produced school food. And when you've had that every single day, every single meal, apart from like occasional bits of toast you make in the kitchenette or a pot noodle or whatever, you get home and it's just heaven. And, And a lot of people ask me, like... Did you not get really angry with your family because you went away to this thing and didn't really enjoy it? And I didn't. I mean, my mum and dad both went to those schools, and I think my sister and I—I I know that my sister won't send her kids away, and I definitely won't either. I think this sort of. I think the the that whole system is becoming out of date now, and I think that's a good thing in this country. People are going, wait, let's not maybe do that anymore. That's not great for the kids. Um, But one thing it did I think leave me with is a really good relationship with my family because every single time I went home it was absolutely sacred I would eke out every moment when I was there it wasn't that I was you know like most kids you know the the parents having to persuade their kids to have a sit you know sit down meal It's all sit down I was like desperate for that so every Sunday lunch I got I would you know it was it was magical.
0: Religion feels like a theme as you were growing up Ampleforth College Catholic School it prides on giving its students, and I quote, a spiritual compass for life. <laughs> I love the way that you laughed then. And then after graduating, you go off and read theology at Cambridge. Mm. How big a role did God play for you in your teenage years?
1: Uh, it's quite a big question. Yeah, I mean, mm. big in a way, you know, because... I, I, at the time when I was at that school and like everyone at that age I was a bit confused and a bit lost and I had this other thing where I was like some people were making my life a bit difficult and so add all those things together add in the fact that you're a bit homesick but you know and also I was also very aware that I was very privileged and I was having this incredible education and I was access to all this amazing resources and stuff so you're a bit like what the hell and then the framework within that confusion is incredibly certain it knows exactly what it is it's this ancient institution and it's saying to you you know wake up in the morning and and if you've got problems pray if you are feeling good about something you're feeling full of awe I mean it was a really beautiful school that was in the middle of the countryside and I would Mm -hmm. you know I'd wake up and from my dormitory or in, you know, my in the sixth form, you have your own room and I'd open the window and often the whole valley would be full of this mist. And it really was very, it's a very, very beautiful part of the world. And so you, and then you go downstairs and um, and then, the, you know, the housemaster who's a monk, Father Gabriel, would say, right, let's all give thanks. And, you know, you're 15 and you're going, wow, thanks very much. And, you know, now all this sort of everyone's now trying to find their space their self-help space you know giving gra- finding places to be gra- grateful and yes. you know, give gratitude i had that every day you know and whatever you think about catholicism and all the problems and complications that it has something really wonderful about waking up every day and just going thanks very much or maybe help me out right now you know i had a channel to something and i mean i got very religious i became like really wrapped up in it but i think partly because i was having a bit of a tough time and i found a lot of solace in it you know i had this amazing man called father peter who i'd go and chat to and i'd be like i'm not sure what's going on and he'd be like it's all good don't worry about it so he became kind of an an intentional therapist and and then i became got older and got interested in it and then went away from school and left and let rip found freedom and autonomy and was and also found confidence and also went away to when I went left school I went to like um, spent most of the, most of a year in um, South Asia and in India and Nepal and I was really interested in Buddhism and Hinduism and Eastern religions and so my theology degree became much more of a sort of um outsider looking in at religion rather than it coming from the place of faith I, I i wasn't one of those people studying it with the intention of going into the church i was just really interested in it.
0: so you're interested in eastern religion you explore the world traveling but with this newfound autonomy i mean were there like full moon parties and dodgy tattoos
1: so that's what happened when I went away, having been having been uh, pretty much. It was girl, there were girls there, but not many. It was an all boys school. Pretty much, there was a, like a handful of girls. And I mean, I know that the whole gap year thing, changing you and giving you, but it really gave me confidence. And and I was also able just to like let rip. I basically went what did all the stuff which you meant to do as a teenager in one year, for about a month. I didn't wear any shoes because I lost my my flip flops broke, and I was like, who needs shoes? So I was walking in and out of like honestly on in buses across India. I spent four days on a train going from the top of the, India, the most northernmost town on the Nepali-Indian border, Gorakhpur, down to Trivandrum. I mean, I just, and I'd no, I had no plan. I was just sitting with no shoes, eating samosas. It was, it was nuts. But I had the time of my life.
0: In 2010, age 25, you are diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. It means your body doesn't naturally make insulin, the hormone that processes the sugar that you eat. How does diabetes affect your eating and your enjoyment of food?
1: It obviously affects my eating significantly in the sense that I have to be aware of what i'm eating and i have to eat more sugar than i would like in order to keep it balanced um and i have to be aware of eating a lot of refined sugar all at once um because it will m- mean that my sugar levels rise quickly and it's harder to control and then it spins me out for the rest of the day so the answer to the question is i don't i try and not let it control what i eat and i I generally will eat puddings, eat desserts, eat are chocolate. Are you
0: are you a good diabetic or are you one of those that plays fast and loose?
1: I'm I'm not the best but I'm pretty good. My mum and my sister both have diabetes. Okay. So we were from a, I'm a family apart from my dad who's the weird freak of the family doesn't have he has a normal functioning pancreas the weirdo. Um, <laughs> but the rest of us we um you know i've 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 grown and my sister who had it first has been she's my younger sister, but she's been an amazing role model because she lived very much by that mantra of you know not letting it control you you control it and so you know when we would have a dessert and we do love our chocolate on oh my family and my sister would tuck in and she would enjoy it and occasionally her sugars would go a little bit out of whack, but she would bring it back into control and you sort of just get on with it.
0: You went to drama school. In fact, you went to RADA.
1: I went to Royal, RADA, yeah.
0: Royal Academy of the Dramatic Arts. And often actors, they slog away for years, getting rejected before they get work. Not you. You didn't graduate from drama school because steady work started coming in. What do you consider your lucky break if you had to peak? Te- tell us that moment.
1: I mean, I guess the first job is a lucky break in a sense, you know, I did a play called Posh at the Royal Court, which took me out of drama school halfway through my final year and that definitely set me off on a great trajectory because it was a professional job it was a great high profile play and everyone loved it and it's a difficult subject posh it was I mean we were doing it in the court royal court which is in South Kensington and it's basically a skewering of like the Bullingdon club um a lot of our audience probably were in or at least had friends who were in the Bullingdon club so you know it was quite interesting having an audience some of like probably very progressive left-wing theatre goers, and then you had like, oh, do you fancy a night at the theatre? Kind of um, <laughs> pop, popping along with you know their um, their their partners, and then so you know we, it was interesting hearing the audience laughing at different things. You know when the you know, satire kind of changed its target, and then obviously and then halfway through our run, David Cameron it went from um, David Cameron got into power, and so our Prime Minister was suddenly an ex-Bullingdon member. It suddenly became incredibly um, poignant, this play we were doing. You do posh. Things start to go really
0: well. You're working really hard. Uh, I hear that you're playing just as hard as well. You're young, fresh, upcoming actor. You're in this play everyone's talking about. I always wonder... That if I stumbled into the right back room of a Soho boozer around this time, (laughs) finding the cast of a play hanging out after hours, drinking dirty martinis long into the night, is it like that? Paint me a picture.
1: I I, I mean, it's pretty good. Has someone from Posh been on the the podcast? (laughs) Certainly, that first play, yeah. Like we would, we would, you know, we were all young, not kids, we were like mid (laughs) 20s, and we'd all got our first paycheck. And it was a West End paycheck, so and it wasn't. It was Royal Court, but it was still pretty good. You know, it was still like I can't remember a few hundred quid a week. I mean, it was enough. And um and we were all this. We were this like band. Uh, you know, it was, it was like being in a sports team or or, or a band. Like we would do yeah. our thing every all night. Male
0: cast. All male cast. Almost, almost, all almost. Man, almost.
1: Fiona Button. Yeah, there's a couple of a couple of them um,
0: But a young young men yeah so of course and like
1: lovely men as well really lovely you know like kit yeah. harrington it was his first job um tom mison harry Haddon payton like really lovely good guys henry lloyd Hughes. i mean we we and we would take we would go from from set feeling amazing because if it, people who haven't seen the play like there were moments when we would break from the dinner talk about food it was a, it was a feast we were eating a ten bird roast <gasps> bird inside a bird inside a bird inside a bird, inside a bird roasted i mean it was nuts drinking wine downing wine coming up doing like jay-z raps to the audience dressed in tails i mean the whole it was like you felt fucking amazing
0: was it a real bird inside the bird that you ate or was it just a plastic no. one that they brought it was
1: probably a bit of chicken because they...
0: i honestly i i find those things eerie they're oh that's disgusting but i think that they're an amazing they really nail a, a mindset gluttony Yes, This yeah. introducing a bird inside a bird instead of the birds. It's grotesque. Smaller than the other, thinking that that combination of meat somehow denotes luxury. Yeah. So at the end of the night, so you're pumped up, you're doing rap on stage, and then you all go out somewhere Every together.
1: night. Every night we would get, we'd, ro- we'd roll out of the front, the, the, the Royal Court bar would close, some people would have friends in, we'd roll out the front, we'd wave down like three black cabs, we'd go straight to Black's, We'd order like three or four bottles of the house red wine. We'd drink that. Blacks, back in those days, was much more sort of lucid. Please
0: please explain Blacks to people that have never been there. I have done some very stupid things in Blacks. Anyway, please.
1: please. (laughs) Blacks is is like the the quintessential, like um, old-fashioned sort of Dark corners and fire, you know, there's hardly end. there's always weird art on the walls, very little light, real fires burning. And um, what was his name? This wonderful kind of um, host who would sort of, he he took a shine to us all. We all had membership because when you're doing a Western show, you get membership. But it's, it's like this tiny little kind of old Edwardian yes. nook, isn't it, in Soho? The
0: sofas that are like beds. Yeah, it's like it's so kind of- you end up really. Hammered
1: horizontal
0: and then you're kind of yeah. in bed
1: yeah you're right with a fire it's like
0: two o'clock in the morning <clears> and you're <throat> basically curtains. lying in bed with a load of strangers I and know. you're thinking this is this is amazing it's
1: amazing <laughs> and we were, we were just behind those curtains, but just ten dudes, just like telling each other how wonderful it <laughs> we <were. laughs> 2014
0: You're cast as Tommy Lee Royce, the villain in the BBC's much-loved drama, Happy Valley. Okay, this character, probably one of the most truly despicable characters that's ever been on television. You are absolutely lovely. Thanks. How, How hard is it to do that? I'm fascinated by you doing this character because you inhabit... A kind of uh, you inhabit a space that I only saw in the the biggest. I'm, what I'm trying to think, the biggest. I'm trying to think if was psychopaths that I hung around with in the northwest of England. I didn't have any choice to hang around with them. They were right. just in the community. somewhere. <clears throat> right. I don't know how you do that. How hard is that? Where did you get it from?
1: I mean, I I, I, I have to credit sally who gave me the best role ever i mean she you know we actors are only looking for good character and good, good writing and and she is the best like she's, she's she's amazing like no doubt i mean someone said to me recently directors if you can just act as if, if you're just still you can you can fill in a lot with everything all the music and the edit and the grade i mean i'm not going to take I'm not going to. I'm I'm proud of Tommy. I'm not going to say it was an, it was all you know kind of created around me. Definitely feel like I went somewhere with him, and and I had an amazing amount of help both through Sally's amazing writing. BBC put me in touch with criminal psychologists. I mean, I did a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I knew that the stakes were high, and I wanted to do as good a job as I could. Sally gives you a lot of prescription in the in the in the stage directions. She's always asking me in, in a lovely way, and a really kind of. Um, you know, she sets you free by saying, let's find, for example, let's find some playfulness. And, and he, she always wants him to feel, feel quite boyish. So on the one hand, he's this monster who can, you know, master manipulate it. But on the other hand, he's a kid. So in that first episode of series one, of episode one in, in, in the last series, you know, I was playing around with that cup. And that was just something which we found in, in the moment through Sally just saying, go and be, have fun, be be boyish. So you find a lot of it in the moment and in, in the re- lead up to it. But it's it's like, it's really fun. I mean, it's really, really exciting because the freedom that man, that headspace gives me being the complete antithesis to me has been a joy.
0: Of course you are from Yorkshire.
1: And I'm from Yorkshire. So of course you can... The accent's there, yeah. I had an accent. I had a strong Yorkshire accent until I was about um, 11, 12, yeah. What? Yeah, there's there's a video of me playing um, Joseph in the Nativity and I'm... No, proper. Is really romantic in Mary. <laughs> 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 no, fuck off with it.
0: <laughs> Do you not just feel like just going back to that accent? Would it just not be mm. like just just let it go? Yeah. Just uh, all, just, just all, what about when you've had like three or four glasses of wine? Does it not just start coming?
1: The only back word in? the only word which it comes back in is um I say I say um, are you confused? I, I hit the word <laughs> yeah. I hit con and not, not confused. I say I've been a bit confused. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why. That's the only... It's the the first syllable of a word like that which hit Yorkshire.
0: Last year, you got engaged to your girlfriend, Imogen Poots, who you met while you were in a play together. In a nutshell, how did you woo her?
1: She often says this. She's like, it was the moment we were in a rehearsal and... We were doing a timeline of the characters we were, we were in and she was being quite diligent, which isn't necessarily in her character, but she was being quite, you know, like, I think at this point, um, I left school and I started, um, you know, university. And then when, when I left university, I think I moved into my flat and I, and I was like with these, cause we had these little tags we had to write on, you know, put it on the wall in the timeline. And I was just writing like, I reckon we went to the Maldives, don't you think? Let's just fucking go to the Maldives. Yeah. And then I reckon we just like, we went for a little little weekend, a little naughty weekend in Paris here. And she just really enjoyed that. And that was like when yeah. the first week of rehearsals, I think that was the point when she was like, oh, this guy's, I think she thought Silly. I was someone I'm not. Yeah. yeah. I think people do that sometimes. I think she, she's always saying to me, like, just relax a bit. Like, don't worry. I think sometimes with the press thing, I, I, I have worried about, not offending yeah. and, and as a result I can come over as a little bit nice and a bit maybe not not serious but a bit mm-hmm. earnest and and I'm and I'm not I think I'm a bit of a a bit of, maybe the clown if I if yes. I'd had the if I'd had the the freedom to be who I wanted to be at school I think I may have been the clown she's certainly the clown yes she's a clown through and through she's a clowning clown we've we both quite got into clowning recently actually so um the actual school of clowning um what yeah really amazing hang
0: on are you going to join clown school? Yes,
1: going to clown class, yeah. Going to do a week.
0: See, this is thespians for you, isn't it? Like literally, <sighs> do you literally give them give them... Oh, like you know I'm busy. You know, like just give them give thespians any encouragement and you lot will be walking into an invisible wind, like doing things <laughs> like that. Like, uh, throwing buckets of water, but they've got glitter in them. Is it that kind of clown? No,
1: that's mime. Well wait, that's mine. The hands and the window. But then but the What well, I
0: mean, I'm thinking about clowns with flappy shoes. No, no,
1: no, 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 no. <laughs> so so no. Clowning <laughs> No clowning in, in the sort of pure form is, is like Lecoq or Philip Gollier. It's that it's that yes. kind of um uh, it's basically everyone has a clown, everyone has a, a persona within them, which is, I think, ultimately free. It's like yeah. the most, but it's also ugly and it's sad and it's, yeah. it's not, it's, it's, it's without all of the kind of shine and performative parts of us, you know, the kind of uh, desperate wanting to please and, and be liked. And, you find your clown and part of it is just stripping everything away and being as honest and as vulnerable as you possibly can be. So a clown teacher, and this is all from here, so I haven't done it yet, I've done a little bit of drama school, but a clown teacher, you'll stand there and you'll try and make people laugh and they'll just be like, no, it's not funny. It's not funny. Get off stage. It's not funny. It's not funny. And you get weaker and more lost and more sort of vulnerable and and, and like wretched and at your absolute lowest where you're like oh. then everyone starts to laugh. You're like, there's your clown. It's like therapy great
0: later this year you're back on stage in the west end in an adaptation of hania yanagohara's best-selling novel a little life you've been doing more screen than stage in the last few years do you plan as an actor um, a strategy for your career or is it just opportunism
1: uh i i had this i had thought about this recently i i i think like if you have too much of a strategy in this industry, you're, you're causing yourself problems because it is so transient and fickle and there's so many variables. And, and Judy Dench said something really wonderful recently in an interview. She's like, she was asked what's the secret to a successful career. And she's like, to be honest, it's just being in the right place at the right time. Like you've just got to be a bit lucky. You've got to be seen by someone who matters, who has the power to put you in something, which mm-hmm. then other people see mm-hmm. and it just starts the ball rolling. And there are, so many actors who are brilliant who don't work, and there are so many actors who do work who are horrible. But you just—if you—it's a lot of luck, and you can strategize, but it will very unlikely we'll go exactly as you want it to go. I mean, you do put things in place to give you some sort of control, and for me, that has been—you know—making sure they come back to theatre, which is always a bit of a sacrifice because it doesn't pay as well. And I'm renovating a house right now and this play couldn't have come at the worst time <laughs> yeah. because um, it's, it's not like a TV sort of wage, but that's fine. No it's...
0: underfloor heating for you right now.
1: Well, no furniture for sure. <laughs> no furniture, no <laughs> curtains. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm not even joking as well. Um, <laughs> what we, we well, are you going to sit on? Are just going to get out. a
0: couple of deck chairs from? Like, I think
1: it's um, going to be, yeah. Was...
0: Very, very small IKEA like, yeah. couch. Just
1: a, a futon and that's pretty much it.
0: Happy Valley. Back on our screens for its third and final series right now, absolutely unmissable Sunday evening telly. When you're on your own couch with comfies on, watching a box set, what is your go-to treat? Sweet treat.
1: I love chocolate, so I'll have one of those um, coconut chocolate pots. You know those like um, ones you get in Tesco's or whatever. They're like these kind of basically like a chocolate yogurt. But they're like, like coconut a, like based, a,
0: like a goo, a goo pot.
1: Yeah, it's like a goo, but it's smaller, or, or one of those kind is it of in a glass jar. No, it's not. It's not as posh as that. It's like a little. It's like I mean, back in the day, it would be a Rolo yogurt. You know those Rolo yogurts? <laughs> they were the bang. They were amazing. Um, for, I mean, it's chocolate. It's all the way. It's it's seventy percent. It's eighty five percent. It's the chocolate orange from Lint with the orange and the kind of almond bits. Sounds oh, delicious. Oh, orange chocolate is the best. My girlfriend and I, at the end of every meal, we'd like, we're not having dessert, but then we'll pull out, we've got this chocolate drawer in our house, the house we used to have, and it was just full to the brim of, like, half-eaten bars, because it feels bad to, like, finish a bar. So we have, like, ten Tonys, like, a couple of Tonys, a couple of green and blacks, a couple, yeah, and we just lay this huge pile of half-eaten chocolate bars in front of us and just nibble away, yeah.
0: I love that. Two actors sharing a house, and you've just got loads of half eaten bars of chocolate because you can't let yourself have the full bar.
1: <laughs> I know. Or if it's a really good bar, you don't <laughs> want to finish it. So you keep it and like keep, you know, just a little bit for that day. James um,
0: Norton, thank you for comfort eating with me. It's the final episode of season four. What an absolute send-off.
1: It's been my pleasure. It really has. I've loved it. Best podcast ever. <laughs>
0: This episode of comfort eating was produced by Jack Claremont. The executive producer is Lucy Greenwell. The music was written by Axel Kakehia. Mixing and sound design was by Solomon King. If you like comfort eating, then please go and leave us a review and you can follow or subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And use the hashtag comforteatingpod get in touch about the podcast, or share your own comfort eating delights. This is The Guardian. Hi, this is Bachelor Clues from Game of Roses, of course, and I want to talk about Club Med.